Welcome back to the tomb, everyone. This is the Pharaoh, aka Ali. And on this week's episode, it's called Ebony and Ivory Towers. And I have two very special guests with me today, and I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Hello, hello. My name is Kellen Banks. Um, I am a recent graduate from Tuskegee University. Um, I got received my bachelor's from Alabama A&M University. I am from Monroeville, Alabama, and I currently reside in Auburn, Alabama. And I am Oladipo Alaugun. I uh, went to UMass Amherst for undergrad and my master's, both in public health. And uh, I live in Attleboro, Massachusetts. So today's episode is Ebony Ivory Towers. I'm just going to go ahead and kind of explain what this episode is going to be about. So we're going to be talking about HBCUs and PWIs. And HBCU is a historically Black college and university, and a PWI is a predominantly white institution. So um, as Depot said, you went to University of Massachusetts Amherst, yep. correct? Okay. And then Kel, uh, could you tell the people that where you went to? I received my undergraduate from Alabama A&M University in Huntsville, Alabama. And I just recently received my master's in public health from Tuskegee University. And I will actually be going on in the fall to receive my doctorate in public health from Florida A&M University. Woo! Clap, clap, thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. So Debo, so you have an interesting perspective being a uh, black person going to a PWI for your undergrad and masters. And Cal, you've gone to HBCUs for your entire uh, educational career. So I guess the first question is like, what prompted you to go to these institutions? Um, honestly, growing up, I just, I just always knew I was going to HBCU, you know, I just, I just always knew that I would want to attend a historically black college or university. Tuskegee was always one of my first choices. Um, so I'm glad I was able to bring it back to go to Tuskegee, but um, there wasn't, there wasn't like one thing that kind of prompted me to want to go to HBCU. It was just something that like I, it was just, I was brought up in, you know, my, my family members have gone to HBCU, my sister, my older sister, cousins, aunties, you know, so it was just, it was already embedded in me. <laughs> so you kind of just immersed in it. So like growing up that it wasn't even a question. Yeah. It's like, it was more so which HBCU are you going to? That was the, that was the main question, which one I was going to. Um, for me, it was, uh, it wasn't sort of ingrained. I, I, I'd heard of HBCUs, but probably not until like high school. Um, just, I think coming up in Massachusetts, it's not as like advertised or like even spoken of. And it also, you know, doesn't help that there's just, you know, proportionally, there's not as many black people in the North as, or, you know, per capita than the South. So um, when I got into college, I always thought about what if I had gone to an HBCU, um, but also um, just from like, you know, parental culture and like coming in for, uh, with, in a first generation family, there was a lot of pressure to go to like 
like the quote unquote, like the schools, like, and if, if there are any Nigerians listening or, you know, West Africans listening, they know your parents are trying to push you to like Ivy leagues because of, you know, social clout and whatnot. But um, I, I know I wasn't going to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's like, which one? You can be a lawyer, doctor, engineer. It's like, exactly. <laughs> but you said that you, because growing up, I kind of knew about HBCUs, but I didn't really get exposed to it until my sister went. She went to uh, Fort Valley. Uh, so that's where I kind of learned about it, but I wasn't really, it wasn't even on my radar when I went to uh, UMass Amherst because honestly, I went there because I knew a lot of people were going there, a lot of people from my high school. and it was the one place that gave me enough money to go, to go there. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at Emmanuel College, but to like run track there. And they said, it was like, oh, well, we can give you $2,000 to run track. It's like, yeah, I'm looking at this bill and it's not adding up. <laughs> but- $2,000, yeah, man. Yeah, $2,000. <laughs> it was like, nah, nah, homie. I need some more bread. But you said that you, uh, Depot, growing up, that you kind of knew about it. It's like, so like, how seriously did you consider going to an HBCU? Um, I, prob- I probably didn't consider it as seriously as I, like, like if I had known, if I could go back now with the same, you know, mindset I have now, I would consider it greatly. But I didn't really consider it. My schools that I applied to were like UMass Amherst, BU, I applied to Northeastern, you know, just like the the classic like honors diploma schools in, in Massachusetts. Um, and kind of like you in the similar sense, like I, you know, I would have gone to, to BU if they had given me more money, but you know, things don't, things don't end up that way, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think if I could, like, like I said, if I could go back, I would definitely consider it uh, way more, especially having an experience, you know, visiting Tuskegee University and meeting both you and Kellen in, uh, you know, the past years. Yeah, because I, I do remember when you came to Tuskegee. So good time. It was a good, yeah, it was a good time. So, um, Kel, did you ever once entertain maybe going to a PWI or was it just you're like nah HBCU. It, it wasn't tunnel vision HBCU it wasn't just that and I think I think um I started to consider PWIs a little more when I was looking at graduate programs I knew undergrad you know I'm here but then when I started actually you know looking into specific programs you know there's some schools that had you know specialties in these programs as well so I definitely considered other ones but again like you guys talked about sometimes you got to follow the money and um the hbcus were always giving it to me for some (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i definitely did consider um i considered um, a pwi for my master's and for my doctoral as well Mm, okay yeah because so uh i guess deepa when you were going to get your mph did you consider um, HBCU? HBCU, yeah. Um, I did not. Uh, when I was looking, I, at the time I was looking for like public health accredited, like the SOPHAS, S-O-P-H-A-S. Yeah. 
um, basically accredited public health schools. And at the time, UMass was one of them. So it kind of just worked out that way. Um, but I do, I, I probably at that point would have, wouldn't have uh, thought about it as much because of the distance. Um, at that time, you know, once you go to college somewhere, you, not not that you're cemented, but more than likely you're going to stay in the same area or a similar area. And um, at that point, for me, I just didn't want to like fully uproot my myself in my life. Didn't want to didn't want to go down south. I mean, I I it would have been if I had gone for undergrad. I I know for a fact I probably would have just stayed. You know. You, you develop those relationships and and if people are going to southern schools like a lot of times they are from the southern states or maybe even the midwest or you know so i probably would have if i had gone to a southern like a uh hbcu in the south let's say probably would have explored you know maybe wouldn't midwestern schools or california schools even um, mm -hmm. for for my masters gotcha and it's actually pretty interesting because i've met a lot of people at tuskegee that were from california there's a lot. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, how did you, like, how'd you choose here? <laughs> they must have like a good advertising push or something. Yeah. And then also it's like people, people know the name like Tuskegee. So whether it's good, bad, indifference, like, so when you're looking at the university, it's like, it's like, I'm, I'm going to go there. It's like, if I'm not going to Howard or Morehouse or something, or Spelman, like, those ones then like Tuskegee people start looking at. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you guys have like a certain image of like the opposite institution? So like, I know that, yeah. So for you depots, like looking at HBCUs, like growing up, like what did you kind of hear about HBCUs and like Kel for you like going to like PW well what did you hear about PWIs? Honestly I didn't really hear too much I mostly just knew that they existed and I feel like the uh, like the idea of an HBCU to me was just kind of like in my head it wouldn't wouldn't have been so much different from PWI just like with different you know obviously more black people um but like going now i'd probably say um definitely in the same way that that schools in the suburbs are disproportionately like funded compared to like schools in like black communities i feel like there's some sort there's like a similar it's not from the it's not from the same causes but there's something that that creates like this unequal distribution to a certain point yeah, it's called racism. Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, systemic systemic racism. But like, I, I'm I, I'm trying to think of you know the specific like. Well, specific I ended up examples. writing a paper about it, and a part of it is because a lot of HBCUs are um, land grant schools. It's like they're funded through the state, in the state disproportionately. Um, appropriates money for HBCUs. So mm -hmm. that's part of the reason why um, HBCUs do have some troubles with uh, with funding. Oh, and isn't another part 
comes from like the research grants as well, right? Because most schools, like the big schools, they either get uh, they either get their fund or a lot of their funding from like sports or you know research or both, you know, if you combine it. But yeah, that's another part of it too. Is that because it's something called the uh, uh, Carnegie scale or Car Carnegie classification. And from there, they they rank schools. So like, if you're like the first tier, then you're like a high research institution, then you're a moderate research institution. And then when you look at it, HBCUs are actually um, fall into teaching institutions. And then with that, if you're trying to apply for like NIH grants and things like that, that is taking into account what is your Carnegie uh, classification and that can lead to the, uh, uh, the disproportionate amount of grants received by HBCUs. And I guess for myself, um, kind of piggybacking off what you guys were saying, it is, I do, it is more so funding related of the things that, you know, I hear or think of in regards to um, PWIs. Uh, a lot of people kind of assume that PWIs just, they, they have much, much better access to the funds than HBC, HBCU students do. Um, they think a lot of HBCU students end up, which is true, it does happen. Students get kicked out of school, you know, because they can't, you know, make a payment by a certain date or, you know, and they'll literally say you have to leave housing and leave. I don't know if it's the same for PWIs, but students are literally kind of kicked off campus if they can't, um, you know, bring the right amount of money in by a certain time period. Um, but I also think that the funds are there. I also think that it's, it's important to kind of take advantage of situations. Um, I like to live by the closed mouths don't get fed. I personally have had every semester of my school paid for at both HBCU. So it's possible. Look, I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna, you know, make sure I can get to what I need to get to where I need. Um, so I definitely think that it's all about how you make it to, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's probably one of the main things that I've noticed too, funding related. And they definitely make you work for that money. <laughs> oh, they don't make you work for it. <laughs> you gotta, once you get it, you gotta be able to keep it. <laughs> yeah, it's not just, oh, fill out a form. It's like, nah, fill out a form, walk two, two miles here. Nope, that place is closed, walk, walk back. Over yeah. there, cross that hill, knock on this person's door, tap twice, blink once, then you can get your money. <laughs> like, but yeah, I think uh, especially with the what you said about people being kicked off campus if like their financial aid didn't clear or something like that. And it's like, I'm trying to think, it's like have, I don't think I've known anyone at UMass like where that has happened to them. Those people have, have you? Where someone was kicked out because of uh, funding? Yeah. I I was, when Colin was saying that, I was thinking about like, I don't think I, I know a single person who's been like, imme like immediately like, no, you got to go. Your, your money's not in. I feel like there's like multiple, multiple warnings and they like, they really drag it out. Yeah. I know multiple who have experiences, close friends, mm -hmm. family, like all the time. 
it's actually really common. That's why I'm, I'm so surprised to hear you guys say that you guys don't know a single soul that that has happened to. And it's it's really unfortunate that like that's the case because imagine like you're in the middle of classes like you're studying for a big test and then all of a sudden like because because weird things happen with my funding all the time like like I remember like my tuition didn't come in at the, at the right time with like like uh what's it called um the financial aid and whatnot and you know it eventually got sorted out but if they didn't give me that moment for all the stuff to sort itself out and I just get booted, like, that's, that's just insane. Exactly. And there's people who are literally Chicago, Cali, you know, yep. it's, it, it's not that easy for them to just up, move everything out of their dorm. And, you know, you don't know what kind of family arrangements they have, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it was a lot. And for me to even see those things happening, I was, I was shook, you know, luckily, thank you that it never happened to me personally, but and I actually, it actually was close to happening to me before, but um, it didn't. Things worked out in time, but. And that's the and that's the thing is like you said, it worked out in in time um, because I remember, Depot, you were telling me about that situation where your financial aid got uh, got messed up. How long did it take them for them to fix it, and then for you to get your money? Oh man. When, are you talking about because there were I think there were two things. There was one thing where it was like undergrad and it like didn't clear or something. And then there was another thing grad. where it was grad. And that was when I was getting because I was a, a teaching assistant, a graduate teaching assistant um, at UMass. Um, and the my I got a tuition waiver because I was a grad student. And obviously I was, um, because I was a grad TA and obviously I was getting paid for the TA ship that I was doing, but it like, didn't, it just like never came. <laughs> like the money just never came. It took them a, a cup, like a week or two to figure it out though. Luckily I had like, I think it was like a previous disbursement that they gave me and, and I was fine, but it was just like, come on guys, <laughs> you guys have been doing this for how long and you're, you're going to mess up this money, but. Yeah, and I think like in all institutions, you'll have people that mess up and money won't be uh, won't be put through, won't be released at certain times. But I can say what I've experienced. The difference is is that like when the PWIs messed up, I could expect the timetable that they gave was in business days. It's like oh, like, mm-hmm. here's a couple. Like, might take three to four business days and then you get your money. With my HBCU experience, it was, it was weeks. Sometimes <laughs> it was re- weeks, maybe. 30 days, maybe. <laughs> next cycle. <laughs> no, seriously, that's Early. what it is. It's like the, the next cycle, you might, get, like, you might get your money. That's so unfortunate. And what's what's sad is that I've I've heard about some people that literally could not move into cannot move onto campus they were like half of their semester was spent on a futon until their financial aid got cleared and the thing is is that you could look at their uh, their financial aid see that they were going to be receiving money it's like why not just let just let the kid move in for real it's like you know the money is coming in yeah you know exactly where the money's coming from and where it should be going 
So I guess the, the uh, next question would be is like, so I guess kind of talk about the social life of being at an HBCU and a PWI. Now that social life, that's different. It's, it's, it's there. Like um, the social life at HBCU is just, there's always something going on. You know, if we're just talking about having fun, it's there. You can, anywhere you go, you can have fun at HBCU. It's just, it's not hard. It's so easy to make friends. And I'm not saying it's not easy to make friends at PWIs. I'm just speaking from my own experiences. Um, it's, it's, it's immaculate. <laughs> immaculate <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i would say uh, ali and i probably lucked out because we were in uh you know, we were we were both in a fraternity that was also one of the like only two that were literally on the campus so we were we were at an epicenter for for social life for sure um but i know people who who didn't who weren't in, in greek life at all who like really had their social life like suffer at, at, um, at UMass just because they were in the wrong location and it's so spread out that if you know one year you and your friends are in different areas like you you may just never see them like if you're at the top of central all the way up the hill oh yeah or Oak Hill uh, yeah, uh, oh, if yeah there, oh, oh, hill. if you're at the top of Oak Hill and your friends are in southwest like you're never going to see your friends it's just you're not, not going to happen yeah. unless it's, you go to see your friends yeah, no, no, one's, no one's going up to Oh Hill. <laughs> At all. Now, Cal, this like this hill, I'm telling you, like it was it was brutal. It was brutal. It was like vertical. It was like fully vertical hill. Like yeah. Made like, no when sense. It would, when it would snow, like you would just it was normal for cars to just no brakes, just you just sliding down the hill. I believe it though. At AM. Our university is literally called The Hill. So if you look up AM, mm. our nickname is The Hill. Mm. And lo and behold, when you get on campus, you are going to see that AM is literally on top of a hill. And, you know, there's certain places you have to go up there and have class, and some dorms are up there, but people dread that hill. So trust me, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. And I guess the, the thing that I noticed because going from UMass to Tuskegee, I got a little taste of both of them. And I was a little bit, and maybe it's because like Depot said, we were in a fraternity and we were kind of just in our own world outside of like UMass. But when people, when I told some people that I was going to, uh, I was going to Tuskegee, they're like, oh, like that's a party school. When I got there, I'm just like, where's the, where, where are the parties at? Like, yes, you, we had certain ones, like, what was it, like levels? Um, oh, that was, levels is one for the books. Yeah. Like, but I guess it's like from coming from UMass, it was like every, like starting on Thursday, Thursday till Saturday. Sometimes, depending on if we had Monday off, Sunday too. It's like it was something was going on. Like you would at UMass, you would see just like droves of people just walking around. And I guess 
going into the I was kind of expecting that. I was just like, where are all these parties people are talking about? But then I realized most of them are probably off campus. And another thing, we, you know, we came in on on a whole different experience. You know, we were grad students. So, mm. you know, grad the grad life and the undergrad life, literally, they're, you know, they're not the same. Yeah. And I, I think if you would have ended up going to, um, you know, HBC for your undergrad, you can, I even, my undergrad experience and my grad experience, even both the HBCUs were completely different. So I can understand you saying that your undergrad at a P, PWI and your grad at a HBCU um, was different, but I think, I think it was just a difference in the grad and undergrad too. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's fair. Um, and I also, I also think that being at a PWI is like, the drinking Y'all culture. Party a little different than us. Yeah, the drinking culture is, is different. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I can say that. I can say that. I've party at a P, at a PWI as well, and yeah, definitely a different party vibe. <laughs> it was lit though. It was lit, but it was different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because because I think it was, like it was you and um, Denzel like when like the drinking games that I was proposing to play. Some like you look, you look. Never like, heard of a day like, in my life. <laughs> what the hell? Look, like, it's like why are you asking me to play baseball? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it was different. Um, the the social life, I guess, going from one one to the other. But it was, it was kind of a good difference, though. Yeah, thanks. Definitely. I'm sorry. I said I would say so from a little bit that I noted. Obviously, I, it was a little bit different for me when I visited you guys because it was mostly during like, like one time I visited was pretty much during a break. I think it was like spring break, but yeah. the other times were pretty solid. Yeah, and I, um, and that's what I kind of wanted to ask you is like when you came down, it's like what was your experience coming to uh, Tuskegee and HBCU and just first of all working um, working with uh, Dr. Warren. And then um, also when we took you out. Honestly, working with Dr. Warren was like a spiritual experience. Like, like he is like the wisest man I've ever met in my entire life. And and he'll he'll get the wisdom out of you one way or another. But he he'll make sure that like you're putting in the work to to get it out, which I which I really really appreciated. Um, and you know. UMass is a big school and like having that one-on-one relationship with the professor, like you really have to, you have to like really put the work in. And I did, and I thought it was, you know, just amazing how much he like, you could, it was, it was this, this, not the same relationship in reverse, but like the, the balance between, you know, I, me having to seek him and him having to seek me was definitely, you know, more equal than, uh, than at a PWI. Um, or more specifically, at just like a big school, um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed being, you know, in an environment that kind of reminded me of like, like when I visited my family in in Nigeria. It's just like having you know people around you who, who look like you and and you know speak like you, like differently, you know, colloquialisms and, and slang and whatnot, and just like just being able to like relax in a different manner than like at UMass. 
yeah, it was pretty much felt like he was going home. Exactly. Uh, and I kind of want both of you to talk about it. The I think was it the last time that you came down when we went out to uh, Auburn? Was it the last time? I think uh, I think it was the last time over the summer. No, it wasn't over the it wasn't over the summer. Oh no, it was during their spring was, break. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that experience. That was that was a tough one. That was a tough one for me for sure. I was actually telling um I was telling my girlfriend about the, this recently. Um I guess I'll, I'll I'll start the story. Yeah. And we so we decided to we decided to go go out drinking and and uh go to Auburn to party and and you know just have a good time and the first bar we went to we got in, we were the only people there because you know it was their spring break. And we were talking with, I guess the, not the bouncer, but like the guy, guy at the door, whoever he is, he didn't really seem like a bouncer per se, but he let he was the one who let us in. And then our couple of our friends went to the bathroom and when they got back out, he was like, oh, one of your friends has uh, Adidas sweatpants on, he's gotta go, like you all have to go. And we were just like, excuse me like he's like no there's a dress code here you gotta go and it was funny because i had noticed something like was off about him when we were talking to him because we were you know trying to be social with him and you know just you know carry a conversation because he was the only other person we saw in the bar and all of a sudden he was like it felt like he was looking for something to to kick us out for and and then he found you know the sweatpants and was like oh through stripes, you're out. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, it was, it was and I crazy. think that there were maybe, like, maybe at most five other people in there. And one of the dudes was wearing sweatpants as well. And we're just like, hmm. Hmm. So, and then, Kel, do you want to explain where we went after that? I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> So we leave that bar and we go to the next bar. Um, this this bar kind of has a little crowd. You know, we have a few people there. We're kind of all surrounding like one little table or two, if I'm not mistaken, but we were all in the same area. And um, I remember looking around at everybody and, you know, of course, the only people who looked like us was us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, what, maybe eight or nine deep. Yeah, so we it was a it was a group of us, and I remember seeing this one group of um, white boys, and one of one of the boys just kept he was looking at me, but I couldn't really, I couldn't tell if it was like oh, you're pretty or oh why are you here, and so he kind of made his way a little closer to me, and I remember him basically trying to say something and shoot a shot or something like that, and um, of course. I have a boyfriend, so I kind of turned it down and I went on about my business, but it wasn't in a disrespectful way. It was just a, you know. Thank you, but no thank you. Yeah, thank you, but no thank you. And Ashanti Ali kind of noticed that it was like kind of awkward, the interaction. So he came over to where the guy was talking to me. And I think you said something and the guy just kind of walked off. And I don't, I wouldn't even say it was maybe five or 10 minutes later. I was just kind of reading the room, looking at, and 
I don't know what it was about him and how he was looking at us, but it was just his body language was just off. And all of a sudden, he literally looked at me. We made eye contact at the same time, and he decides to imitate a gun with his hand and mm -hmm. basically shot the gun at all of our heads. And I was just, I was in complete disbelief. I don't know. I'm not used to that kind of stuff. Even being born and raised and been in Alabama my whole life, you would think that I experienced stuff like that often. And I was completely thrown off guard by that. And immediately it was time to get up out of there. Like I had to go. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's jokey jokey or if he's one of those crazy people for real and he is ready to blow our heads off but i'm not gonna try to stay and find out what's wrong with this man so mm -hmm. yep and as soon as you said that that happened i was like yeah let's all follow <laughs> so move as quickly as possible everyone in the line <laughs> let's, let's head on out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to tell tell the people uh, how you reacted? <laughs> uh, I was the only one out of the group. <laughs> I was the only one out of the group that was like, nah, like we gonna we, we gonna stay. It's like, yes, I know that they don't want us here, but I don't care. It's like if they want to come and try to do something, then like we can like we can handle it, but it's like my mindset was is that I'm not going to let someone run me out of a place. It's like I'm not it's like this isn't this isn't the 40s. Like I'm not my grandparents. Like I will throw I will throw these hands. Um respectfully. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, because I remember we went, I think we went to a cookout after uh uh cookout after that, and then that's what we were kind of talking about it. And it's just like I've grown up with these types of white boys. It's like, I, I know them. I know which ones are really about it and which ones are the actors. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was just, it was something that I felt really strongly about because it was like, we're black in America. They don't want us anywhere. That's facts. The only place they want us is either in a prison or in a grave. Fortunately. So, if I'm at a if I'm at a club or a restaurant or bar, whatever, and these white people are like, "Well, we don't want you here," it's like, all right, it's like, you can suck my dick. Like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I do understand that my my mindset and mentality is different than others. So, um, no, for sure. And at the end of the day, actually, is a uh, is is that a standing ground state? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, which you know, we should be able to stand our ground, like, and and no one should be able to drive us out of a place because because of you know how we look. But um, at the end of the day, it's also if it's also a standing ground state, <laughs> and and you know they'll manipulate the laws and into whatever way that uh, that appeals the most to them. Yeah. And I, I do understand that. Well, I don't know if Alabama is a standing ground state. It wouldn't surprise me. It's in the general vicinity of, you know. <laughs> it's close enough that we could probably just assume. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me, is that I don't need a law to tell me that I can stand my ground. Like, sure. you have the luxury of a law telling you to do that, but it's like, 
I don't I don't need permission from the government to tell me that I need to protect myself. That's facts. That's facts. But I mean, we kind of veered off topic, but I mean, I guess that's kind of going out in Auburn was always an experience because since Tuskegee is only about 30 minutes away from Auburn, sometimes we would go out there and the the vibe was just completely different in Auburn versus like uh, Tuskegee, like going out to some of the bars at Tuskegee, it's like, yeah, I guess I could say that like I felt wanted. It's like people weren't looking at me, it was like, oh, what, what is he doing here? But kind of going out in Auburn, it was either what is he doing here or oh is he on one of the, is he on the football or basketball team and that was kind of the same thing that i got at uh at umass because yeah with some of these i don't call it what it was some of these drunk white women just walking up to me and it's just like oh my god what position do you play it's just like yeah Kel, yeah yeah <laughs> horrible but so kind of getting back on track. So I guess the, the next question would be is like, what, are, what were some of the benefits of attending the institution that you went to? Um, I would say, um, like, like Depot said earlier, being around people that kind of look like you, um, I think a lot of my, my, I got a lot of good mentorships from my HBCU and it was, I could kind of see myself in a lot of my mentors. So it was, it was kind of motivational for me in a sense, you know, um, I do feel like I got a certain sense of care from like, and I'm not saying that you guys don't receive that at PWIs, but this, this is just, <laughs> you I'm, don't. I'm going to keep it a hundred. We, we don't like going to Tuskegee versus going to UMass Amherst is like there was maybe one black professor that I had at UMass Amherst and even when I tried to go and talk to him it's just like if I wasn't at the top of the class that Negro didn't want to talk to me yeah and that's that's real and it's sad that it's like that but that's that's real I've, I've had friends who have gone to PWIs and they felt like they just didn't have the right guidance sometimes. And, you know, like I said, I know it's different for everybody, um, but I can truly say I I felt, like you said, wanted. I felt welcome, you know, like Depot said earlier, kind of was like a sense of home-like in a way, mm -hmm. you know? So that was the most benefit for me. And, it, you know, like I said earlier, it was so easy to just kind of I wouldn't say blend in, but root yourself in that new in that environment, you know, because there's people around you that look and are trying to do the same things that you're doing. So, mm -hmm. uh, for me, comparatively, I feel like the PWI didn't get definitely didn't give me the support <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like Ali was saying, I was actually thinking at one point, like I had not spoken to my advisor in like months because she she just wouldn't respond to any of my emails it was literally like like abandonment <laughs> like like pretty much because she either wouldn't respond to the emails or she would respond and it wouldn't give me any answers to anything 
And I remember I, in my second, so I, my second year of grad school, I uh, switched advisors and luckily that advisor, like she, she really helped, like really helped me and, and, and guided me with as much as she could. But, you know, at that point I was kind of, you know, I basically didn't have an advisor for a year because the other one just <laughs> was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And that's sad because I honestly feel like advisors are like super key, especially for like new students coming in. You know, sometimes, sometimes some students don't have any type of guidance. And so they're solely dependent on their advisor, you know, whether, whether they don't have, you know, good support from their family, parents or whatever. Some people come in literally depending solely on their advisor and, you know, for somebody to experience something that you guys are speaking of and then they really are depending on them that's kind of pushing them back a lot like me personally um i was super close with all of i I have their cell phone numbers i'm texting them i'm calling them i can pull up to the office at any given point i can call them right now if i need like a letter of recommendation or something like it's it's that it's that deep and embedded like it's literally a relationship that is formed. But I can say there are some students at HBCUs who have had experience like you as well. So again, yeah. it's it's how you make it too, so. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not to paint all HBCUs as this or all PWIs as this, but right. I think it's more dealing with majorities. It's like majority of the time, if you're like, not even if you're black at HBCU, but if you're at a HBCU, it's like one of the things is, is that, yeah, you're gonna have a smaller class size, but then, um, and I think the thing that distinguishes a HBCU and a um, PWI in terms of like the student interaction is that from my experience, I realized that at the PWI, it was, hey, succeed if you want, versus at a HBCU, it's like, we expect you to succeed. And as a student, when you have those types of um, expectations coupled with the support, it's like you're going to rise to those expectations. But I think at the definitely at uh, UMass, in my experience, it was just like you can show up if you want to, you can succeed if you want to. It's like we still gonna get our money. It's like that's that's it. Versus again, at the HBCU, you're coming here, we're making sure that you're going to learn. But the other thing I wanted to kind of touch upon, because uh, Kelly and I, you, uh, we dealt with this when we were taking our health education class, but kind of talking about how with like HBCUs, they tend to be more conservative in how they operate versus with like some PWIs, they're very liberal in, in how they how they do things. So could either of you kind of touch upon that? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, okay. So, I'll, so like, I think at Tuskegee, there's only one maybe two co-ed uh, dorms if i'm if i'm correct i i know of one for sure and that's james mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if there's another one 
so it's so first of all just like separated by sex and like being at UMass Amherst like yeah you would have like you would have a uh, uh, separation but it was like if you're living in Kennedy one of the towers it's every other floor so it's like oh okay like so you have more chances of like interacting and everything like that mm-hmm. and then um and then the reason why I said that uh we ran into it in our health education class because one of the things that we were proposing to do is for the RAs at Tuskegee, we were going to see if we could actually um, supply the RAs with, uh, with condoms. And the kind of pushback that we got from it was, oh, well, at that point, you're gonna be promoting kids to uh, have sex. I was like, no, we're promoting public health. Like these kids, they're doing it. They are. It's like, like, there's a reason why HPV and chlamydia are big in colleges. Yeah. Like we're promoting safe sex. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, with the, like, because of how conservative like HBCUs are, it's like, I feel like sometimes they don't want to acknowledge what is going on. But at it's like, like having it's like having religious parents to a certain point or super religious parents it's like we're not gonna talk about it. I'm gonna sweep it under the rug, but if it comes out, there's gonna be a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're not yeah. gonna let that happen. I mean, I I know that at um UMass, you could just go to your RA uh your RA and just ask like, yo, I need like five condoms. And, and they they'd have like the flavor joints too, like <laughs> they'd, be all, they'd have like lube packets. <laughs> yeah, they were they came strapped. They were like, yo, here's everything you need, just don't have a kid. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the that's part of the conversation we need to have is like because part of it is yes, like we're not, we don't want you to have a kid, but also part of it is like all these other diseases that you can't catch. It's like, if you're not thinking about it or if these types of uh, resources aren't available to you, then you're not gonna be safe. Exactly. For real. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. I don't think I know anyone that from UMass Amherst that ended up having a dropout because they had a kid. I know one person that had a kid. Yeah. But she went, she finished school, but still it's like with the amount of what was going on on the, that camp, like. You'd think there would be more kids. <laughs> yeah. For real. Um, I was actually thinking, I was about to ask you um, off the, uh, the common question, like how many people or well, you and Kellen, how many people you knew who, who ended up having kids in college? And to a certain point, it might, because, you know, I feel like having a kid, like the, like having a kid, I feel like more people in the South from, from what my girlfriend's told me, like in, in her family, she's from Atlanta. It was kind of normalized to have a kid in like your like early twenties. Like she feels like, 
societal pressure and like familiar pressure like like have a kid like you go to college you meet who you marry and then you have a kid at the same time and then or like right after and then and then you're a mom for the rest of your life yeah then your life begins <laughs> exactly uh so i'll let you take the floor Kyle. yeah i i personally know a few people who have gotten pregnant while in school i actually have um, a few close friends who have gotten pregnant while in school and um, had their kids very successful, doing great in life. Um, graduated. Um, I'm trying to think. I I may know maybe one or two, not personally, but I may know maybe one or two that ended up having to drop out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe coming back later, but that's that's kind of my only experience with it so i guess with and that kind of makes sense yeah with the with like even like if you're if that's your family dynamic you you're already kind of prepared you're pro- your family's probably prepared to to help you as well through you know the schooling at school as well um but yeah i definitely think, think it depends on the support that you have too you know exactly with your family that's major key you know, if you if you don't have a very supportive family, then especially depending on um, the father, all of that, all of that plays into place. And so when you have all those things supporting you and around you, it kind of makes the process a lot easier. But now that I think about it, maybe some of the other people that I may have heard of who did end up, end up having to drop out, I'm not sure if they had that type of support. Mm-hmm. Or if like, they were even local because if you're not local, if you're one of the kids who's from California or Chicago or like, you know, basically out of town, you need to go back to your support because having yeah. a kid is no joke at the end of the day. That's true. And maybe they transferred. Yeah. That could be done too. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing that kind of got me thinking about it because as we can see, like, at a PWI and at a HBCU, like, yeah, there are people that are having kids maybe in their sophomore, um, junior, junior year. It's like, so the kind of conservative measures that like some HBCUs take, it's like you're looking at it, it's like, it's not working. Like if you're, if you're trying to say like, well, we don't want like people having sex and having kids, it's like, well, they are. So I know what you're trying to aim for, what ought to be, but this is what is right now. This is like, the reality. Yeah, this is this is reality. So it's like it's either like get with the program or people are some people might start looking at us like, you know what? I might not send my kid there because like people are getting pregnant at this school. It's like I'm I'm sending you to get education, not to bring home a plus one. Plus two even. <laughs> Plus two, yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Or you can be on some Octomom shit. <laughs> no, but um, so I, uh, my next question would be is that what is something that you would improve about your institutions that you go to? Well, that you went to. Um, I think the main thing that I probably would want to see improved may just come from like generally the administrative side of things you know 
like we talked about, um, even as far as if there's a problem or hiccup in payments, you know, three to four days versus a whole month or whole cycle, or even even down to class registering and, um, you know, housing, just kind of the administrative side of everything. It, it always seems like a freaking maze. Like you, like Ashanti Ali said, you have to go to point A to point B, point C. You may have to stop at point D for like a second or two and then be rerouted to basically go back to point A. Like it's just a bunch of pointless maze running sometimes. I'm not gonna say all the time, but sometimes. And I, I haven't been to a PWI, but I've, um, I've interned, I've worked at a PWI and it, it kind of seems like a straight little line you have to walk down to do whatever you got to do and handle it and it's done, you know? So that's probably one of the main things, just the administrative side. So kind of just stream, like streamlining the process for, yes. um, for students. So not putting the burden not on you to figure it out. It's like, yes. first of all, I'm 18 years old and I just got like a $30,000 loan. What like, <laughs> this is not normal. <laughs> Up. I'm gonna need some help. It's definitely a figure it, figure it out yourself kind of vibe sometimes, or or they expect you to just already know some of this stuff and how. If I've never been here before, you know. Yeah, well, I know that when I told my sister I was going uh, to an HBCU, she she was very adamant about. I might have to come down with you to talk to financial aid. I was like, nah, it'll be okay. It was like, you don't understand. That financial aid is another conversation for another day. Oh my gosh, financial aid is always a hassle. I, and I've seen that at, I remember at a and um, it was like this one phase that everybody needs to see financial aid at the same time. And you could literally, the office will open at eight and you can try your best to get there at eight o'clock, but there's gonna be a line at 7 a.m. And the line is going to be long until 5 o'clock p.m. So you just literally are going to be sitting in financial aid office all day if you're trying to be seen by somebody. But you have to see financial aid because if you don't see financial aid, you can't be cleared and you can't get your housing. If you don't get your housing, mm -hmm. you can't register for your classes. If you can't register for your classes, there's no point in you being here. You're going to get kicked out. So literally, it's like we have to go through this in order to even be here. So it, it's always a hassle. And I think they know that financial aid is kind of one of those things everybody needs, you need it. It's not something you can just say, oh, I'm, I'm just not gonna worry about that. You gotta have it if you don't, it's, everything's just gonna fall, so. Be sleeping in a box. <laughs> Literally, everything is kind of dependent on that financial aid, especially for those who are living on campus. You know, that's your, that's your housing, that's your- um, Food. Your food. Your every everything is tied into that. So, and that takes me all the way back to students getting kicked off campus because they can't get their financial aid stuff situated. So, it's it's mm -hmm. legit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, then, and for everything that like happened with my financial aid, like every like I didn't have to go too many places. I had to go to like two buildings. They told me they'd figure it out, and then they figured it out. And those oh, they lines. figured it out. They figured it out for me. There were no lines. They figured it out. Maybe I had to like sign a, a sheet or something or like send them something, send them some sort of proof of 
financial aid or something, but it sorted itself out eventually. Must be nice. For real. Definitely must be nice. <laughs> I'm just glad. I remember one of the last times I, I visited Ali, there was, I think you were registering for classes and we stopped at four buildings. And I was like, in my head, I'm in the car. I'm just like, how many, <laughs> how many classes? Like, is it each individual class you registered for? <laughs> and like, even to a certain point, it, it kind of was because you had to, for each different class, you had to collect like a different document from somebody else. Yeah, you had to, I had to get the signature from the um, professor to be admitted into the class. But it's like, you only teach public health classes. I'm in the public health program. Why do I need a signature? <laughs> it should never be that deep. So I guess for you, when you, um, when you were getting your MPH, when you signed up for classes, what was the process for that? Man, I did that shit online. <laughs> I did, did it online. It was automatic. I put everything in my cart. I waited until the day that everything, but I had like an appointment. It was an appointment where I, you know, logged on to Spire, the UMass online registry thing. And I logged on and everything from my cart went in. And if it didn't go in, it was because the, the class was full and then I just picked another class because I had a few more in my cart. Wow. And that was pretty much it from like undergrad to grad. Like it was always, you know exactly when you're gonna register and the the system will do it for you. Yeah. Nice. I, think I, I will say Tuskegee does, there is a way for some students to register online. It's graduate. something like it was something because they were expecting it. we couldn't do it. Yeah. Ooh. Our it was something about us, our grad students. Yeah, something and we couldn't do it. And we it was like too new, maybe. It was too much. It was, but it was <laughs> regardless, it should have been as simple as everything else. Mm -hmm. Really? But because I'm uh I think maybe only two times for undergrad I had to go and get uh, signatures but that was only just to get an override into the class mm. because it was full I needed it for my major it was just like yo you know some people aren't going to be showing up so there's going to be some seats like let me get in and then you have uh, courses like that where some people just don't show up and then you have courses like organic chemistry where it's maybe a 200 person lecture hall they fit 250 in it. People are sitting on the floor. Oh, yeah. Mahar. Yeah. Like, there, I'm not going to lie. There are times I walked in, there was not a seat available. I just left. I'm not going to sit on the floor. <laughs> I remember there were times that we had exams and there would be people on the floor during the exam because there was just so much space. Like, so many people in the class, I mean. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so each each institution has has its problems. Uh, oh, so uh, Deepo, for you, what would be something you would improve the luxurious UMass Amherst? I would make it, uh, for one, I would make all the housing like Southwest because 
there's no reason for the housing to be that spread out. Like if you already have like a city basically in the corner, you might as well just make the rest of the the city part of that part of that as well. Because you know, like I said before, you shouldn't you shouldn't have like your friendship ruined because you're in Oak Hill now and and I can't even make the trek. Or if I do make the trek, it's gonna be like 20 minutes on the same exact campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely make it less spread out to a certain extent or like more more organized probably just because I remember there was a point one of my classes was like legitimately the com- complete opposite side of campus. And I was like, I'm in the furthest tower <laughs> from everything. <laughs> like <laughs> they all would not help me at all. Um, but I'll also make it, uh, I, would, I would say more diverse. I feel like having having that kind of like, you know, like there were, there were places where you could have that community, but they weren't as advertised, like, you know, different things with like Black Student Union or uh, like Malcolm X Center. Mm-hmm. But I feel like every, like every other time I saw the Malcolm X Center, it was closed. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, someplace I could just go as as much as some other places on campus. So I'll definitely make it more more diverse. Okay. And in terms of making it easier to get around, would you probably like increase like the public transportation system or was I know well, that there are buses, but sometimes it's just I think the busing system at UMass was good to a point. The only issue was it was really relying on like the busing for the entire like Pioneer Valley. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, it was the same buses that brought you, you know, 30, 30 to 45 minutes away as the ones that brought you right on, you know, different spot on campus. So I think you want to add more buses, but you know, the Valley isn't, it's, it's, it's not like it's a true city. There's not a lot of space there. There's not a lot of uh, funding there, I'd say, for like all these things. So unless we had like more just on-campus buses or, you know, sometimes there were, there were times where I would go to the bus, you know, later at night, of course, but if I didn't catch the bus at, you know, two, or not two, because it would be at night, but like 8.47, there wasn't another bus for an hour. And at that point, it's like, might as well just walk there or call an Uber, depending on where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you missed, the, you missed that bus going to the bars. You are walking. <laughs> <laughs> you either walking or you were finding, finding the next friend who was going to drive, because... <laughs> Because depending yeah, where you are. and especially depending on like if it's end of first semester or the beginning of second, it's cold. So you ain't you are not trying to walk. With the snow? <laughs> no, um, sir. That point, just stay in your house. Just stay, just stay in your house. <laughs> as well. Um, so this is this will be the uh, last question. Is what do you think is the cultural and psychological impact for Black students who attend HBCUs and PWIs? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't want to say this in the wrong way. 
Um, hey, this is, this is a free space. <laughs> it's a deep question. It is, it is, it is. It's, it's a really good question too, though. Um, I don't know. A lot of a lot of people kind of think that HBCUs don't necessarily prepare you, you know, like for the real world or whatever. But I I think I I feel like it personally does. Um, like like I said before, in regards to like the guidance that they give you, um, it's almost like a sense of parents, you know. And like they genuinely want what's best for you. And so it's not just about the grades sometimes. Sometimes it's about the lessons that you're taking away from whatever experience, whatever interaction it is that you're having with them and how you can apply that to your life. Um, like you guys were talking about Dr. Warren, you know, he's just, oh, he's just so amazing. But like those type of, those type of interactions, I can truly say the one semester I had in his class I, I think I grew tremendously just by being in his presence and hearing the knowledge that he had to give, you know? And I'm not saying that people at PWIs can't give that same thing, but I think there's, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, you saw, I said, I was trying to say this in a, in a, in a good way. It's no, not, but it's, but it's fine because there's a certain, <laughs> there's a certain perspective. And if you're at a PWIs that they're going to give you a certain perspective like where at Tuskegee with uh, Dr. Warren, he's gonna give you the black African-American perspective and how to navigate through through this world. Yes, as a black person, because you mm -hmm. guys know, and you guys have gone through this, you mm -hmm. know, versus others who aren't like us, who yeah. maybe can't speak on the certain things that we've experienced. Which means you can't. You, I'm not gonna say you can't, but the guidance you give is gonna be different. Yes, because especially just in our example, because we're all public out here, is that when you're like, if you're talking about public health for Black people, and you, first of all, like we live it every single day. It's like some people just make it an intellectual exercise to think through the plight that we go through. It's like, oh, this is how I would do it as a like, but with us, it's like, it hits, especially in public health, it hits a little bit closer to home because when you are looking at these statistics, these numbers, you're seeing, you, you're seeing your mother, your, your father, your aunt, your uncle, like these are, these are not just numbers, these are people that look like you. So that type of perspective that you can get from um, an HBCU is that you're able to engage with it, engage with the literature in a different way than just looking at it. It's like, oh, the rates are are bad. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't, I'll keep this a short example. Um, when we were talking about health disparities mm -hmm. and the way in which uh, uh, Dr. Warren talked about it was, so he asked, uh, he asked us, how do you fix health disparities? And, this, and by knowing how it's calculated, there are two ways to fix it. So with health uh, disparities, white people are set at the baseline 
then everyone else is compared to um, that baseline. So for health disparities to um, shrink, two things need to, uh, one of two things need to happen, either black people become healthier or white people become sicker. That type of perspective is not really looked at in the, um, in like PWI spheres talking about public health because their thing is like, well, we just want people to get better. It's like, but when you look like, if you looked at the statistics uh, life expectancy within the past uh, two to three years, they'll say, oh, the gap is getting smaller and people jump up and down and sing praises. But the reason why it's getting smaller is because the life expectancy for white people are going down. We're still sick. And it's like my goal and this is what I got from being at HBCU, it's like, especially with talking about health disparities, it's like, I don't wanna be just as sick as white people. I wanna be as healthy as I can be. Mm-hmm. And like that kind of, I hope that kind of illustrates like how you can get a different um, perspective on the same information. That's facts. That's deep. And that's like a, that's like where people, people will say you can make statistics do whatever you want to a certain point. Cause like, like you said, that's not even a perspective that I even thought about. And I went to a public health institution and you know, same, not same as you, but like I went to, I did my MPH, I did undergrad and, and that's not even a pers- the a way they frame it. Cause at the end of the day, you're you and Dr. Warren are right. Like there's two things that need to happen. And if one of those two things will happen, you know, technically there will be less disparity, but is are we really solving the root of the problem? Yeah. So I guess for in your opinion then, what are the cultural and psychological um, impact of a black student going to an HBCU or a PWI? Well, I can speak from like the PWI perspective in that I feel I feel like it's very much um not a, not alone per se but like there the culture's not there for sure there's a um there's like a really good joke where this i think it's a i think it's donald glover and his mom bought like cocoa puffs and he was like oh yeah we finally got cocoa puffs like let's go and then she took one of the see-through containers and she poured a fifth of the container with cocoa puffs and then she put the rest of it kicks mm. and then she shook it up and it was like little little cocoa puffs everywhere but like the majority of it was kicks yeah and they were like this isn't cocoa puffs mom and she was like you asked for cocoa puffs you got cocoa puffs yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's kind of, i feel like that's kind of how it feels as yeah. a black student going to a pwi like like those are the black people there but it's just so spread out. It like you, the sense of community is really lost, and and you're kind of forced to be in like someone else's community to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I kind of notice about going going from one to the other, um, and just also just with talking with people is that. So, another benefit of going to an HBCU as a black person is 
you can take classes that might not be offered at these um, uh, PWIs and really learn about yourself, learn like your history and where you come from. And I understand the utility of that because there are some people that grew up that didn't necessarily have parents like mine that like from a young age, they were educating me on all this stuff. Like some of the, my, uh, my sister Karma, she also went to uh, an HBCU. So I'm pretty much the odd one out. Uh, but her friend told her, it's like the stuff that you, speaking of my sister, the stuff that uh, you grew up with just knowing other people have to pay to learn at a university. And I think that is one of the benefits of the HBCUs that it can give uh, people a sense of cultural pride and understanding. And I think sometimes if you don't have that and you end up going to a PWI, it's like you might end up losing a part of like yourself or the sense of yourself. Because if you don't know who you are, then whoever someone tells you you are, you're gonna accept because you don't have anything contrary to that. That's fair. You, you can't know if you've never seen it. Right. Yeah. So I think that was for for me going to PWIs, like having that knowledge beforehand. That's why I think I was able to go through a PWI experience join a white fraternity and still be the person who I am today. It's like, because of, because of that. But I understand how some people will go to HBCU because they did not have that growing up. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of uh, during the quarantine or during you know the, the whole pandemic and everything, uh, there was one time me and my girlfriend went to a restaurant in Providence called Denden. And it's a, uh, it's like a, Japanese Korean uh, Asian fusion kind of kind of uh, restaurant well not Asian fusion but Japanese and Korean food was there um, and there was this kid who was sitting next to us and he was just sitting there on his computer he looked like a you know typical college kid you know studying or something or doing homework and he like he like looks over at us and we're you know we're both uh, black people and he's he's also black I think he was he was mixed but you know he's got he had, he had his locks going. He was, he was you, know, you know, really, really going in. And People aren't uh, going to mistake him. Exactly. <laughs> so he, he, ta- he like waves at us and he's like, he's like, hey, like, I, I just really got to tell somebody I got accepted to Howard University. And we were both like, oh, my God, like, that's amazing. And he was like reaching out to us. He's like, oh, it's going to be great. We we're like, oh, we're, we're so happy for you. And we had like this nice little conversation with him. And I was just like, wow, like to a certain point, you could just feel like this kid would needed some needed to, like he looked at us, he was like, these people will understand exactly what I mean as soon as I say this. Mm-hmm. Right. And as soon as he said it, we were both like, oh my God, that's incredible. Like, so happy for you. He's doing sustainable um, conservation. Like, and like to this day, I still know, I don't know, I don't know his name because we didn't go that deep, but like, I know what he's like studying and, you know, uh, it really affects you, I think. Yeah, that's true. That, that's great. Yeah, is like you said, is that being able to being able to share that joy with someone and have them understand without having to explain to them, it's like, well, Howard is a prestigious HBCU. Right. Like, yeah. but you just it's analogous to someone's like, I got into Harvard, and everyone everyone knows what that means. 
Exactly. It's like, so yeah, same. It's like I got into uh, Howard. It's like, yeah, like having the having people understand your joy. Yes, real. Well, we are coming to the end of it, but before we go, I have to, because I know we, we were talking a lot about things with HBCUs and PWIs, but I'm gonna go ahead and read the, some of the statistics of HBCUs so that people aren't gonna be coming from the throat. So HBCUs are responsible for 75% of black PhDs, 46% of black business executives, 50% of black engineers, 80% of black federal judges, 85% of black doctors, 50% of black attorneys, 75% of black military officers, 40% of black dentists, 50% of black pharmacists, and 75% of black uh, veterinarians. And, <laughs> and that is for a collective of 100 in five HBCUs that do this. And for the black vets, we're gonna have our Tuskegee pride. Tuskegee hey. is the only only black, uh, vet school at an HBCU. Up there, up and mm. stuck. We love, <laughs> we love to hear it. That's beautiful. I know, right? So I have to, you know, I mean, we, we families, sometimes we gotta, you know, be like, hey, we can do better, but that is what, we are doing. So if anyone tries to come at us about HBCUs, I got the facts. Look at the numbers. <laughs> numbers don't lie. People just don't lie. People do. Period. Exactly. What my dad would say is that lies figure and figures lie. Period. So thank you. Oh, before we go. Is there anything that you guys want, like closing statements or anything that you want to promote? Well, thank you for allowing us to be on this talk. I've loved it. Um, I'm so proud of you and this this um, tomb talk that you got going on. I know you've been talking mm -hmm. about it for a minute. So kudos to you for even starting this initiative. Um, take the time to promote myself. If anybody listening to this um, talk it needs any hair necessities, please shop with your girl, thewigwave.com, custom-made units, machine-made units, quality luxury wigs. We have hair products, edge control, bonnets, the whole nine yards. We always have sales going on, so follow us at The Wig Wave. And that's it. Well, uh, I'd like to echo Colin's statements. You know, thank you for, for having, having both of us here. Um, and I don't, I don't have any products to, to, you know, to advertise, but, uh, definitely check out the wig wave, <laughs> definitely ch check out, uh, Kel's company support black owned. Um, and I guess, uh, check out toxic city pod. We got, we got archive episodes online. Uh, and we should be having some, some new stuff coming, coming sometime soon. So check us out. Okay. Well, once again, thank you for coming, talking about this. And that has been another episode of Tomb Talks with the Pharaoh. I will see you guys next week.